I'm Joel Parker, and this is How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Today is Tuesday, April 1st, 2014. Coming up, we talk with Nobel Prize winner David Wineland about quantum computing and Schrodinger's cat. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. When cells commit suicide, it appears they leave a note. But the note isn't so much an apology as a warning to sister cells who might suffer a similar fate, spurring them on to protect themselves and survive. Cells typically self-destruct when glitches occur in their DNA, meaning they won't grow and replicate and damage their organism. Now researchers have found that dying larva cells in a fruit fly's wing will alert their neighbors, turning their on-off signal switch, the tie receptor. Once switched on, the signal activates a short RNA molecule called phantom, which works to protect the neighboring cells, making them more difficult to kill by radiation. The findings contradict the current theory that cells in the vicinity of a dying irradiated cell become more prone to death, and if the same mechanism holds true for mammals, it could affect the use of successive doses of radiation in cancer therapy. The research conducted by in part, scientists at the University of Colorado was presented last week at the Genetic Society of America conference in San Diego. And for our next headline, here's Kendra Kruger. Computer chips may be getting a lot slimier, as researchers at the University of West England have discovered a way to utilize slime mold in logic circuits. The slime, Physarum polycephalum, is made up of a network of interconnected tubes which are used to absorb nutrients and detect changes in the environment. Researchers have been able to coax the slime in particular structures by feeding them oat flakes or repelling them with salt. They then fed the slime magnetic nanoparticles and fluorescent beads, which traveled through the networks like electrical signals. The flow of particles through the structures mimic the functions of logical gates, such as NOR or XOR gates, by blending or separating the inputs into a designated output. Who knows? Maybe in the future, Slimer won't be known as that lovable, sloppy ghoul, but instead as the next big supercomputer. A call to action. That's how some of the authors of the most recent report released by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change described the new document. The report was released yesterday morning in Yokohama, Japan. A report released in October addressed the current understanding of the physical science of climate change. This report, the second of three reports, addresses climate change impacts, adaptation, and vulnerability. More than 2,000 authors, editors, and reviewers representing 70 countries contributed to the report. Authors conclude with high confidence that climate impacts have already been felt across all continents and the oceans. These impacts include water availability, shifting geographic ranges of plants and animals, species extinctions, and crop yields. The next report on mitigation of climate change and is due out later this month. Still feeling a little off from the recent daylight savings change? 
Well, a new study has revealed that our annual spring ahead and fall back may have more of a physical effect on us than was previously thought. The study, conducted by a group at the University of Colorado at Denver, illuminated a 25% increase in heart attacks the Monday after spring daylight savings. On the other hand, they also see a 21% drop in occurrence on the Tuesday after we turn our clocks back in the fall. The overall occurrence for the week following daylight savings isn't any different than the rest of the year, suggesting that those who are already at high risk could be triggered at the beginning of the week by this abrupt change in time. As it turns out, heart attacks in general occur most often on Monday mornings. I guess it's just another reason to hit the snooze button come next Monday morning. For How on Earth, this is Kendra Kruger. And we have several items on the science calendar this week. First, do you know how to map a hydraulic fracture? Monitor reservoir. Halliburton fellow Norman Wapinski speaks tonight about what we know, what we don't know, and what we hope to learn about natural gas development. The talk is part of a series called Fracking Sense 2.0, focused on evidence-based information about fracking. Fracking Sense 2.0 is hosted by the Center of the American West, in partnership with Air Water Gas Sustainability Network in Boulder County. The lecture starts at 6.30 p.m. tonight in Hale 270 on the CU Boulder campus. For more information, go to centerwest.org. What happens when two stars collide? Why would a star only pretend to explode? Can you hide one star inside another? To answer the questions, join Emily Levesque on a tour of some of the weirdest stars in the universe, from our nearest neighbors to stars more than 13 billion light years away. She will explore some of the most puzzling and exotic objects being studied by astronomers today. Dr. Levesque's presentation is this Thursday and Friday at 7 o'clock p.m. at the Fisk Planetarium on the CU Boulder campus. For more information, go to fisk.colorado.edu. And there is yet one other science event this week, tonight's Gamoff Lecture, also on the CU campus. And that is what we will talk about next for today's main feature. You are listening to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Joel Parker. This evening at 7.30, Dr. David Weinland will give the 49th Gamoff Lecture at the University of Colorado. His subject is Quantum Computers and Schrodinger's Cat. Dr. Weinland has worked at the National Institute of Standards and Technology in Boulder, Colorado for 38 years. In 2012, he shared the Nobel Prize in Physics with France's Dr. Serge Haroche for groundbreaking experimental methods that enable measuring and manipulation of individual quantum systems. Dr. Weinland and his colleagues use electromagnetic fields to trap individual ions for long periods of time and lasers to place the ions in quantum superposition states. Superposition is like being both here and there at the same time. Superposition, if taken literally, as many physicists believe it should, though some disagree, results 
in some very strange behaviors, like in a thought experiment designed by Ernst Schrodinger. Schrodinger's thought experiment describes how a cat in a box can be both dead and alive at the same time. Dr. Weinland talks with How on Earth's Jim Pullen about the connection between his work and Schrodinger's famous cat. He says quantum computers are in the news. There was a recent Time magazine article about a month ago that uh, featured a company in Canada that are, are selling their version of a quantum computer. And then the other thing that's been in the news is, uh, you know, part of the, the information that Snowden leaked was that the NSA has a big program in quantum computing. Now, this is not, for people in the field, this is not at all a surprise because the, uh, I mean, it would be crazy if the NSA didn't have a program because the one of the potential, you know, killer applications for a quantum computer is, uh, well, in a nutshell, would be able to crack most secret codes. So that's, it, it's, you know, it's, they have to be interested. So it's not surprising at all. Could you explain to us what a quantum computer is? <laughs> well, not in a few minutes, but I can give, I can give a, some idea of, uh, uh, you know, why it appears to be interesting. And uh, it, 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 one of the aspects is it relies on a quantum property called superposition. And this is a, this is a property that we don't experience in our ordinary day life. But to give one example of superposition, and just as a simple demonstration in our experiments, we, we store atoms, they're charged atoms, atomic ions, we store them what we call a trap. It's just an electrode structure that you can think a good analogy is like holding a, a marble in a bowl, and the bar, marble can roll back and forth in the bowl. And for our atomic marble, we can realize a so-called superposition state where the, where the atom can say as it rolls back and forth, it can be on the left side of the bowl and the right side of the bowl at the same time, not one or the other. It's on both at the same time. And this, of course, has no, you know, we, ha we can't relate to this in our, in our ordinary day experience. The marble has to be on one, at an instant time, has to be on one side of the bowl uh, or the other. And yet we can do this on the atomic scale. So anyway, that's an example of superposition. Now, where it applies to, to computers is that uh, we can also, with our atomic ions, we can put the ions in different energy states. There are electrons inside the atom. They, 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 we know that we can prepare them in certain energy states. And we could, we could take two of those energy states and we could label them a zero or a one, just as we do with binary bits in our, in our normal computers and our laptops and so on. Uh, now, the interesting part, we can actually store information that way, either as a zero or one, just as we do in our, our normal computers. But we can also make this bit be a zero and a one at the same time. Now, where this gets interesting in terms of memory is that we can, if we have, say, three bits, we can, you know, a normal computer, a three-bit register, binary register, would store one number, say, for example, 101. But the, this, if we had a quantum register of three bits, it can store all the numbers from 000, 001, up to 111, 
that's eight possibilities, or two to the three, two to the power three. And this two to the power three gives you an idea of this, this scaling of the memory goes exponentially. So if we have n quantum bits, we could store two to the n uh, numbers simultaneously. And where this, why this is interesting, because because of this exponential scaling. So if we had 300 bits, we could store 2 to the 300, which is about 10 to the 90th. That's more than all the elementary particles in the universe. So in some sense, this quantum computer could store all the numbers, uh, you know, a larger, would have a larger memory capacity than if we took all the matter in the universe and made a classical memory memory, a conventional memory that we have in our computers. So that's just one aspect that that we're able to play on. Now there's, you know, that, and that's true, we can do that. The, there's there's also some other aspects that in the quantum world that we can take advantage of. The, the, the tree, the, 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 pardon me, the, uh, the, the, the important catch, though, is in the quantum world, we learn that we can't read out all those numbers. And in fact, out of this 2 to the 300, 10 to the 90th numbers that we can actually store, we can only read out one of those numbers. So uh, any any algorithm that might be useful uh, has to be able to live with that fact that we can only read out one of those numbers. We can manipulate all these, these memory elements uh, in our quantum computer, but when we finally measure the register, we can only read in one number. So there's only so far a limited number of possible algorithms where this is useful, but this factoring algorithm is one. It's very efficient compared to any known uh, classical algorithm, any known algorithm that we can implement on our normal computers. So that gives some idea why it's interesting. These algorithms are actually designed the configuration of the experiment to make a measurement to achieve, uh, you know, the consequence that you'd hope for. Can you describe that? Is it really sort of a configuration of, of the experiment, or is it more like a classical computer program where you have sort of a sequence of instructions? Well, we do in, in one model for making a quantum computer, and actually the one we're working on at NIST, it, uh, it, it uses a series of logic gates just as we would do in our normal computers. And... Uh, but and one but one aspect to give a just a r rough sense of what happens in our quantum computer is it relies on on interference effects and so a, a, a classic example that maybe many people have have done in their high school science classes is if you consider water the propagation of waves water waves for example. Uh, one experiment that's often done at the high school level is you you send water waves towards a barrier that maybe has two openings, and the part of the wave can propagate through these two openings, and the waves at some point will interfere. That there'll be troughs, the, the, you know, troughs and valleys of these interfering waves where in some places the water will be still and in other places there'll be the amplitude will actually be larger. And it's this interference property. It's it's essentially exactly the same, although we're using quantum mechanical waves 
to, to you know, we're utilizing the interference of quantum mechanical waves. But this classical analogy is very close with what we do with these quantum waves. What is Schrodinger's cat? And what do quantum computers have to do with Schrodinger's cat? Well, you know, going back in history, the, the founding fathers, including Schrodinger of quantum mechanics, they 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 discuss the consequences of of uh, of the ideas of quantum mechanics, including superposition, and so they they were used to thinking about it in terms of. Uh, you know, simple systems, like I mentioned, the idea that our atoms could be in superpositions of two energy states. But what Schrodinger, you know, uh, realized that at least the theory of quantum mechanics, it shouldn't only apply to microscopic systems or atoms, for example. There's no reason that it shouldn't apply to very large systems that we experience and, you know, on the size of cats. And uh, and although you know it would be not you know it would not be practical to be able to write down the equations of quantum mechanical equations that describe the cat just because there's so many atoms in the cat you know it's un unrealistic. Nevertheless, the basic theory of quantum mechanics tells us that we should be able to, in principle, we should be able to write down this equation. And interestingly, then the the you know the the how the cat evolves, we should be able to cook up a situation, which Schrodinger did, where the cat is both dead and alive. Not dead or alive, it's dead and alive at the same time. And this is a problem that, that, that you know, it bothered Schrodinger because this extrapolation to our ordinary day, day life of quantum mechanics. And, and I, think it's, I think it's fair to say nobody knows you know, what, what's wrong with that argument. There's certain practical reasons that we, you know, first of all, we wouldn't want to make a, maybe play with a cat and do that to, but we, you know, we can think of macroscopic superposition states. Uh, an example I'll give in my lecture where we should be able to, at least if we can make this quantum computer, we should be able to make a, uh, our register. They behave like the, 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 the bits also behave like little magnets and we should be able to get a, large sample of these magnets together where they're in a superposition of the magnetization pointing one way or, and the other way at the same time. So this is the kind of analogy that we should be able to realize. And uh, although we can't do that yet, I think, uh, I think we, we, we think it's just a, a technical problem that we, if we can control these systems better and better, we should be able to make a situation like that. So in fact, you know, at least at this point, there's nothing to say uh, that Schrodinger's idea is wrong. We should be able to make these these large-scale systems, these, these large-scale superposition states. Before the observation is made, you have uh, uh, you have these multiple possibilities. Uh, sort of the the wave function itself incorporates these mul multiple possibilities. But in Schrodinger's cat example, once you make the observation, then again, the wave function collapses and That's the right. cat is observed to be either dead or alive. Right. How do you actually know whether you have built a superposition of states and without measuring it and causing a collapse of the wave function? Well, one simple way, let's take Schrodinger's cat. Let's suppose we had the capabilities to do something like that. We could, you know, the way we verify these superpositions is that we can, we could, Let's suppose we could start with a cat that's alive and we arrange, the, you know, this apparatus where 
cat is in a superposition of dead or alive. Now, what we would do to verify the superposition, we would we would real we would first repeat that process many times, and half the time, rough, with equal probability, rather the cat would be turn out to be dead or alive when we look in and measure the the apparatus. On the other hand, we can also then we could do this same experiment, but the, rather than measuring whether the cat is dead or alive, we 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 could actually reverse the process. So we would do exactly the same thing, and then we would we would reverse the process so we would get back to the situation where the cat was always alive. So the only way that could happen is if the cat was in this superposition, a state of dead and alive, and then we reverse that process and get back to the situation where the, the cat is alive. And and so this is, you know, this, this you know, is... You know, it's sort of inductively we 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 make this conclusion, but that's the only way. That's the only conclusion we could reach that the cat was in the superposition state. Oh, okay. So, using the outcome of the experiment, the cat is alive. You know, because of the experimental configuration, that there must have been a superposition state. Is right. that right? Right. You know, the fact that we can reverse. Uh, the situation we, that is when we first do the measurement, and the cat is dead or alive. Uh, we know that it has to at least the wave function before the measurement at that point has to have, you know, has to represent both situations: the cat dead and alive. And if we reverse our quantum operations, we can actually, rather than doing the measurement at that point, if we just reverse our quantum operations, get back to the point where the the cat is alive, then we can infer that we... The only way that we can infer that is if we have the superposition, uh, you know, at the point where we do the measurement and the cat is dead or alive. So... Well, there are other interpretations of quantum mechanics that avoid these sorts of things. I'm thinking of the yeah. Bayesian interpretation of quantum mechanics. But it seems to, it seems to have its... Uh, Kind of appeal. Well, there's. I'm not. Sh I'm not sure whether you're referring to Bayesian or there's Bohmian mechanics, where uh, it you know it follows a similar prescription to most quantum mechanics that most of us use. But there, the idea is that the, in fact we don't ever make these suppositions. The cat is always either going to be dead or alive. But it also involves. It also involves. Uh, uh, some, or rather, it, it leads to some uh, conclusions that we also find problematic, and the, and one of those is that you know we could do superluminal communication, that is, transmit information at the speed of light, and that's it's one of these tenets we, at least as far as we know, isn't violated, and we strongly hold on to the idea that we can't do that. Whereas with Bohmian mechanics, it would have these, we would be able to do that. So that faster than speed of light. Yeah, yeah, these sort of so-called non-local uh, actions. So that, that, so that's something we, we don't like. <laughs> so we would like to, 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 uh, to hang on to that. But uh, so there, there are. I think one of the more interesting ones that people talk about is that is the idea of you know, multiple worlds or multiple universes. And that's the idea that in some ways it gets around this problem that, you know, that this idea of cat being a superposition state, it, it always is going to continue to live in a superposition state. 
and the you know there's a the situation where it's alive is one universe and the situation where it's dead is another universe and we only see one we only live in one of those but it's always in a, the superposition never goes away so i mean taking it to extreme the you know uh, the whole universe there's multiple universes and different superposition states and and this is you know there's you can't you know you can't argue out of this i think most of this i mean at least someone like me i i the problem that bothers me is that's perfectly viable explanation i think at this point but there's just absolutely a hideous number of <laughs> parallel universes and i'd like to think that life is a little bit simpler than that but that's <laughs> that's just an opinion so. dr david weinland will present the 49th george gamow memorial lecture on quantum computers and Schrodinger's cat this evening at 7.30 at the Mackey Auditorium on the University of Colorado Boulder campus. Thanks to How on Earth's Jim Pullen for that interview. That's all for this April Fool's edition of How on Earth. Our exec- executive producer for this quarter is Joel Parker, who also produced and engineered this week's show. Additional contributions by Jane Palmer, Beth Bartell, and Kendra Kruger. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Boulder artist Tati. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KJNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KJNU Science Show, I'm Joel Parker, and happy anniversary, Kim.